Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Hack to Start, a podcast that focuses on amazing people who have an interesting story or perspective to share and their insights on how they got to the level of success they have today. Thanks for joining Tyler and I for another episode. This is episode 128, and today we'll be chatting with Jake Cohen, the founder and CEO of Ann Chill, a friendly bot that gives you amazing movie recommendations. Jake was introduced to the world of startups through university and various groups after graduation. He then left his law office job for a contract with Google. Jake's career continued to push him down the startup path and saw him develop an affinity for putting the customer first and championing their needs. He then decided to go all in and launched his own app called And Chill, a recommendation app that broke the mold by creating a friendly and funny personality through their first chatbot for Facebook Messenger. Jake joins us to share his story, how he got into startups, what motivated him to launch and chill, why he's so excited and passionate about the bot space, why they chose to create the personality and tone of the bot in the way they did, and so much more. So once again, we'd like to welcome you to the show. Feel free to tweet at hack to start drop us an email, hey at hacktostart.com, or share your feedback right on iTunes with a review. Good or bad, we'd love to hear from you. So let's get started. Jake, thanks so much for being on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for joining us, man. We're really excited to uh, have you on the show and get to hear more about Ann Chill and all the cool stuff that you're working on. But before we dive into that, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Where are you from and what did you study? Yeah, sure. So uh, I'm originally from Cleveland, Ohio. Proud because I, I kept my 216 area code on my phone number. Kept the uh, Cleveland sports teams in my heart as well. You know, I didn't transfer over to being a Yankees fan or anything like that. <laughs> um, so grew up, uh, grew up there in Cleveland, and then uh, I actually went to the University of Rochester. I studied economics. The interesting thing was there was no uh, business major um, at the time, so I graduated in '08. Uh, they had a lot of business classes, but no specific major that I could get. I did take a lot of those business classes, and there was actually one entrepreneurship class that I took that I think sort of became the sprout of what I would eventually realize that I wanted to do. So, you know, economics was, was fairly relevant, and, you know, I, I kind of went from there. Absolutely. It's super cool. Was there something in particular about that class or the prof that really, you know, sparked the passion? And, and how did you end up stumbling onto the world of startups from there? Yeah. So, I mean, I, what I did was I actually I took the course descriptions very seriously. So in the beginning of the semester, they would give you this book with all the classes that were available. And, you know, they had some good descriptions there. And I I took a lot of time literally reading through most of the descriptions, most of the classes. Um, U of R allowed us to be somewhat open in terms of the the classes that were required versus not required. So I did have that opportunity. The description, I don't remember exactly what it said, but certainly sort of sparked uh, what I was realizing about myself. I didn't know anything about entrepreneurship and before then, or back then, you know, it wasn't anywhere near as big as it is today, specifically startups. So I guess I just kind of took the plunge and, and it was a, a pretty solid class. Uh, in terms of kind of how things progressed, you know, what I did after school was I actually started at a law firm. 
And, you know, the short story with that is that it, it didn't fit me at all. Basically, you know, I wanted to be super proactive about things. So I wanted to change this and that and, and all for the better, of course. But, you know, that kind of culture doesn't necessarily allow for that. Instead, I was doing uh, a bunch of papers. And then once I was done with that, I'd get another set of papers to do. And it felt very cyclical and certainly not kind of who I was. I uh, felt a little boxed in. You know, even the simple things like the fact that they like you to wear a button-down shirt every day, clearly not the worst thing in the world, but I, you know, I, I like to dress casually, and I, I realize that, you know, my dress doesn't really affect my performance um, on a day-to-day basis. So I slowly progressed, you know, from, from college. I started reading more and more about tech products, startups, the tech way of thinking, really. And I started to notice that I was really agreeing with pretty much everything that I was reading. So, you know, quotes from CEOs, interviews from CEOs, I would be nodding my head in agreement pretty much the whole time. And back then, uh, you know, I took a lot of somewhat random courses centered around tech and startup culture. So, you know, Lean Startup Machine was, was one of the big ones back then. I think they're still doing very well. I went to a few of their classes and it felt like they got it, you know, and I had never really, I had never really gotten that in school as much. So there's a, yeah, there's a specific example with, with Lean Startup Machine that I, I really love and I took to heart. Basically, they were telling us a story about McDonald's and how uh, basically they weren't selling enough, uh, bre- they weren't selling enough breakfast in the morning. And so they didn't know what to do. They ended up spending millions on market research, standard market research, to try to figure out how can we fix this problem. And they, they, they didn't really fix it, um, even after spending all that money. And what happened was eventually they, they just asked people who go to McDonald's. You know, it was very one-to-one. Uh, they simply started to ask them more and more about what they thought about McDonald's and, and particularly breakfast. And that was where the the key insight happened. Basically, people just needed something that they could easily hold in their hands and drive at the same time because this would be during, you know, the commute hours. So they came to milkshakes as the thing that uh, actually started to push them over the hump. Um, They promoted them more. They may have even not had them for breakfast for a certain period of time. But once they brought that out to consumers, that made them go on the right track. Uh, and, and the point of the story is the fact that they, they did what, what is probably very intuitive or what sounds intuitive to me, um, and it, it's a lean startup principle. They just simply talk to, to people who use their product, which in this case is you know, fast food. And again, I, just, I, I was kind of blown away because of the insight there, but also just how much I wanted to immerse myself in that way of thinking and uh luckily things have gone from there yeah absolutely it's a cool story and and i love the you know the progression of of getting involved a little bit and like slowly starting to immerse yourself in that world so you actually ended up joining you know google um a little while afterwards as as part of your career so what was that process like for you and what was you know the experience of going from that that law firm into google yeah, so so the first caveat I'll say is I was a contractor there. Want to get that out of the way because I feel like they would they would want me to say that. Um, at the same time, though, 
you know, it was a wonderful experience. I was working uh, with the team in the NYC offices. And, you know, I mean, Google, this was my first real position in tech. And Google is essentially the holy grail um, when it comes to the tech world. And uh, I just remember being so excited that they wanted to give me the opportunity. So, so basically what I did was, this was back when Google Drive wasn't out yet. So we had docs, we had sheets, but we didn't have a way to keep everything organized and synced across all devices. And so this product, Drive, would basically, it would transfer your files without you telling it to. You would just drag your file into a folder and then you would see that file where you needed it to be on your phone. And for a lot of people, that's quite scary in the beginning because you know most people are used to explicitly telling the computer what to do and then having the computer respond on a more one-to-one. And Google wanted to make sure that people could kind of feel comfortable with that experience. So anyway, I basically talked to a whole bunch of early users. I, I tried to figure out what their pain points were, but more specifically, how they could feel more comfortable in the product, how they could feel empowered, really, because there was not only a new product, but a new interface, that sort of thing. And so I would suggest things to the team that would help with the user experience and really make them feel on a level where Drive could be their day-to-day driver. And the experience overall, as I said, was, was fantastic. The team was wonderful. Everything about it was just the perfect springboard for uh, what was to come. Yeah, for sure. What were some of the biggest like lessons that came out of that experience for you, I guess? I don't know if it was a lesson per se, but it really just validated the things that I was telling you before. So I, I, I kind of knew that I identified with this way of thinking, with tech, with startups. You know, I didn't get into one yet at the time, though. And so I was there. I learned that I thrive in the environment. So luckily, it wasn't the case where, you know, I I had this ambition and it was um, sort of outside my realm of capabilities. It turns out that um, not only did I really enjoy that kind of work, but I could also do it really well. And, uh, you know, I think that's that's one of the primary things that uh, that I took away. Yeah, absolutely. And and so you ended up having like a few more roles, um, you know, in your career afterwards, after Google. But mm-hmm. then you ended up making the transition from, you know, being an employee to a CEO and founder. So can you tell us a little bit more about, you know, what that experience was like for you? How did you, you know, after immersing yourself in the mindset, come to the idea that it was time for you to create your own company? And what are some of the challenges you had to overcome in getting to that point? Yeah, so I think as i as i kind of went along i got more and more experience i understood more and more things i was really able to craft my own sort of career narrative in the sense of of user experience so i mentioned with google how we wanted the user to feel very empowered very comfortable i did uh one one um, which was an early on demand delivery and services app I did operations for them and um, the founder there, Lee Natinka, he basically said, you know, every request has to be done flawlessly and that's what we, we expect. And um, 
I had I, I saw him care on a level that I had never seen from anyone else before, and so I certainly took that with me. Uh, I went to Nimble TV afterwards, which allowed you to watch paid cable content on your mobile device. And I did a lot of work in streamlining their account services department. I uh, helped raise the the NPS for us quite a bit, and I knew that I wanted to to get my own thing going. Um, I think with those three experiences, I realized that I could take the jump. I had the experience. I, I thought I had enough experience. Um, and, and really, it was more about just wanting to go ahead and do it. And I really just jumped into it. Um, I didn't sort of, uh, you know, I was still actually, uh, I was at Nimble TV when I would just kind of experiment with this kind of stuff. We're going to talk about Anshul later, but I, I just started, you know, messing around with spreadsheets and, and thinking about, uh, you know, what people would want in recommendations. And, you know, it wasn't the kind of thing where I immediately left full-time work. I just sort of threw myself into it, I guess, uh, in a way. As far as, uh, you know, kind of the challenges you know, luckily enough, my managers were, they, they would let me be as proactive as possible. So uh, they gave me that freedom. I was able to, to do a lot, to make a lot of changes, to really own my department. So I think, you know, moving to becoming a CEO, obviously, I still have that capability and power. But now I need to figure out how to prioritize all of that on a much wider level. So now it's not one specific department that I have the freedom to to work on it's really all departments and i have to I, i'm in charge of prioritizing because if i don't prioritize well then we're going to move slower than than uh what we need to do or, or what we need to move so that's that's pretty big i think the other thing is the fact that you know now i have to take the hits directly uh, meaning before you know there were other C ceos there were other people that uh, basically, we're taking all the hits and all the the feedback, potentially negative feedback, the issues. They were responsible for those, and I was kind of sheltered. But being the CEO of Anchill, you know, now I'm the person who uh, is going to take that feedback, is going to take the the ups and downs. I'm really going to feel the roller coaster some of the time. Um, and so, you know, one of the challenges that I think I've been able to kind of learn how to handle is, is just getting back up, you know, after being hit and, and understanding that as long as I push forward on the, the vision that I have and as long as I execute on that vision, overall, this is going to be pretty great. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you brought those two points up, like prioritization and, and you know, being responsible for taking those hits, because I feel like, you know, it's something that I guess we all kind of know is there, but don't necessarily acknowledge or at least not to that degree. So I'm glad you mentioned that. So you have been chatting a little bit about Anchill. Can you tell us a little bit more about uh, what it is and what really motivated you to start it? Yeah, sure. So um, Anchill is the world's best recommendation experience. And it was funny because I, I actually did a, an interview with uh, Michael from, from SWAT.io a few days ago. And um, I think what happens is people kind of segment what we're doing into sort of just texting a bot. Uh, and I had a little revelation I was thinking, and, and I realized that, you know, we didn't, we didn't build a platform 
so you could text the bot. Basically what Anchill is, a platform that allows you to use the most intuitive human interface, which is conversation, to express yourself any way you want about the movies that you like. You know, there's nothing to learn. There's no setup. Uh, you know how to speak. <laughs> you know how to communicate. You, you actually know how to communicate digitally. You know, we're sending hundreds of emails or texts every single day. And we allow you, again, to really say anything that you want to say about your movies. And I think that's very powerful. You know, we, we take that, we take the fact that we can get this deep information from you. And it's part of the reason why our picks are so surprising to people and, and why they feel like they secretly went and did the searching on their own. And we came up with those, uh, with the picks for them. They actually, you know, thought that they would find themselves. So, you know, just as a quick example, um, never before have you really been able to say, uh, I liked George Clooney's attitude in Ocean's Eleven in a recommendation product. Or, you know, I liked The Wolf of Wall Street a lot. It was hilarious, but it got too intense at times. Um, other services, you know, they'll let you swipe right on the movie poster of Ocean's Eleven, or you can type in George Clooney and it'll show you movies that George Clooney was in. But the issue is that the computer doesn't know, they don't really know why you like those things. They're just kind of guessing based on probabilities and such. I don't think there's really anything close to the level of truly expressing yourself in the way that you want to. You're sort of sheltered by these buttons or tags or things that, uh, that make it hard to actually give a good pick. Star ratings is one that comes to mind. You know, you and I could rate something a four out of five stars, but we, we will have totally different reasons for why we rated that thing four out of five stars. And, and really, if we asked a thousand people, there's going to be variability in that four or five star rating, you know, specific scenes, specific things that they responded to. There's infinite differences between every single person who comes in and uses a recommendation app. So, you know, the, the point about all of this is, again, you are now able to show that personality. You're able to show truly what you feel. And we, we don't have to guess. We're not restricted by those issues. That's what makes it kind of cool. And, and that's why I think that the bot interface is, is perfect for what we're trying to do. Yeah, absolutely. Super cool. I'm glad you brought up, you know, the personality and, and the way to express, you know, something very particular, like the intense action scenes or something like that about a movie. So you guys have actually built that pretty extensively into the bot or into the recommendation platform, you know, using emojis, images, tone. How did that, you know, how did that come about? How did that emerge? Yeah, so I mean, I think, obviously, we want the bot to be as friendly as possible. We want it to be inviting. We want it to be approachable. One of our main goals is truly to make you feel like this is the most natural thing in the world. Because, you know, we, we do have the conversational interface, which is very natural. But if you don't present it to the user in the right way, they're going to figure it out very, very quickly. So we basically, we meticulously craft every single aspect of the experience to make you feel like you're talking to someone else. The other thing, though, 
about that is that we we purposely want you to know and, and the bot knows that it's still very young. And it's so to speak from that viewpoint, you know, even though we're, we're doing very well, we are certainly not perfect. Um, we have a very, very, very long way to go. And so the bot hopefully can communicate to you in certain instances that that it's delicate. Delicate was the, the perfect word that we came up with to describe what was what we wanted people to potentially feel about us uh, or about our bot. So, you know, there's big aesthetic value there. You're getting a lot from it. But if you come too close and, and try to touch the exhibit, it may fall from the shelf. Um, over time, you know, that's going to change. Um, but we're still going to keep the, the inviting, friendly kind of tone. Hmm, that's pretty cool. It's interesting to, to hear you guys, you know, th- put so much thought into that and recognize, I guess, you know, the fact that messaging it and bots are fairly new, which, you know, I want to get to and, and chat about in a bit, too. But it's, it's interesting that you guys have chosen to acknowledge that, I guess, to that to that degree. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's, it's tough. I mean, um, the, the bot experience, you know, let alone the value that you're actually going to provide to the user, but the, the experience itself of actually going through and sending messages and receiving messages, you know, it, it, it takes a lot. I think we have to take it, uh, you know, way more seriously than we do now as a whole. You know, you spoke a little bit about, I guess, the, the vision that you have for the platform. And I'm, I'm curious to know, like, how that has, I guess, started. Like, you know, what got you into building a recommendation apps for movies? But also, how did you build or how did you approach building the first version of the platform? Yeah, so, I mean, in, in terms of what got me to, to doing this, I was incredibly frustrated with the idea of recommendations in general. Really, the, the execution, I mean of recommendations. So I was I was using these one to five star services. I was sifting and sorting through, you know, a sea of a thousand movie options. And I just felt that if it's personalized, we should be doing this in a much different way. And what I also saw was that the, the, the recommendations weren't very reliable. So I would have to go through so many different titles because, one, they presented all of those titles to me when when I think they should only present a few. Uh, and two, you know, I, I couldn't really trust uh, the fact that they put this as the number one movie in the slot. And also, actually, my a friend of mine said that I had a scrolling addiction um, so I, I basically, uh, I took a long time to figure out what movie to watch quite a bit. Uh, and I sort of had this holy shit moment there because when you're doing it, you don't really recognize it. You know, that's, that's kind of interesting too. As far as, you know, how we built the first version of the platform, um, really what we did and what we do is be resourceful as hell. So there are so many services on the web that you can take advantage of, whether it's another company, whether it's an open source project, you know, NLP frameworks, all of these things are out there and you just kind of have to look for them and find them and customize them for your needs. I like to joke that basically there's probably a service out there that'll just do your startup for you, you know, (laughs) if you look for it. It's it's almost that comprehensive. It's pretty crazy. And, And specifically in the bot space, 
you know, now there are 12 different NLP services that you can use, which is pretty key. Basically, we we scoured the web for this kind of stuff. We tried all of the platforms that were out there, you know, all of the NLP services. We gave a really good shot and we figured out that uh, Lewis.ai actually was the best one from, from Microsoft. And I think, you know, as I sort of hinted at, we, we customize those platforms, but we also figure out when we have to build our own technology around that. And nowadays, because we're not as early, we're starting to do that more and more because we can get more intricate. Uh, we understand our needs better based on how users are using the platform. But I think to one of the arguments is potentially to completely build out your own technology in every sense of the word. But for us, you know, being so early, uh, having few resources at the moment, there's there's way too many benefits to to finding those resources out there and using them to your advantage, at least for a certain time. Yeah, that's super cool. So, you know, you've alluded to it a little bit uh, before, but what is it really about bots and messaging, I guess, as a medium, as a technology um, and, and as a format to communicate with the user on a very personal and, and you know, natural way that has you so excited? And, and I guess why focus there instead of building, you know, another star service or something like that? Yeah, I think there are so many advantages built in with the fact that we can come in and help you through messaging. The, one of the key points is that messaging apps now are the dominant apps in the world by far. And, and people are using these messaging apps so much nowadays. And maybe so in a way, it's kind of inevitable that, that this bot craze happened. The caveat I would have to that is just the fact that, you know, it's not just that you can build a bot and it has messaging and that makes it automatically better than, you know, just going to the web and, and clicking a few buttons. I think there's going to be a lot of bots that, that don't make it. Um, but the key is, you know, how can you truly add value into this platform that users are so comfortable with, uh, that they're so used to? So in a way where they don't have to really think about it and learn it and, you know, take the time to, to figure it out. And, you know, the cool thing is that there's even a deeper level of, of ease of use. I, I had mentioned the, the fact that this is the most natural interface of all time. But what really is going to be kind of cool is we can sit in line between people who are having conversations already. Uh, you know, we're sending hundreds of text messages to each other every day. I think in the future, bots are going to simply figure out when value can be added with those conversations happening naturally and adding that value when it's appropriate. And, you know, the user now the user has to directly text and chill and say hi. Uh, and then we know that they need a pick. But if we could sit behind and come in when they need us without them, without them needing to call us up. I think that's going to be pretty huge. I, I learned that from from Phil Lieben at uh, General Catalyst. He's a big proponent of of this idea. So it, it's just it, it's such a a window of opportunity um, in a lot of ways. As long as you make sure that you're using the right use case for this kind of stuff. 
So since bots are still pretty new and haven't quite gone mainstream yet, you know, I mean, I think they've blown up to a certain degree, but they're not quite there yet. It's, it's, it's going to happen. How do you approach, you know, marketing and, and letting people know about it? And, and what have been, you know, some of the most effective channels and tactics so far, given that you guys are, you know, a messenger bot? So I, I probably have an interesting answer for this. I mean, my, my ultimate view is that for the best products, you know, users are, are going to find them no matter what. I feel like if Snapchat, for instance, required you to hop three times and, and run around the room or something like that, you know, people would do it yeah. because that's <laughs> Snapchat is just cool. You know, that's it. Snapchat has that value and that mind share with people. So I would I would basically preface my answer by saying that we really are just focusing on giving each and every user the ultimate experience and we're putting everything into the product. Um, and that that makes it so that the person who hears about us, who could help us with user acquisition, for example, they we don't really have to go ask them. They could use the product. Hopefully they're pretty surprised by it and wowed by it that they talk to another person. And that person talks to another and so on and so forth. We don't actually do, you know, any external marketing at the moment. Most of our press has been inbound. And, uh, you know, again, we were able to get that press simply because they were impressed. Uh, it wasn't kind of this lucky thing that we, we just magically was able to get. I think, you know, we certainly need to look more into acquisition. Uh, we have really big plans when it comes to content marketing. People love movie-related content. On a lot of these tech websites like Business Insider, whenever they, whenever they have an article that basically says, you know, the top 10 sleeper picks on Netflix or these are the top 100 movies you should watch in your lifetime, those articles always get four or five X the views of the next highest article in the section. Um, and it's quick too. like people flock to this stuff. So we're excited about the opportunity to provide content um, externally. Uh, it's something on our roadmap, but I don't have the, the numbers in terms of telling you how well it worked yet, but I'll, I'll come back to you on that. Yeah, for sure. No, I mean, <laughs> I completely agree. Like, you know, build an awesome product that people love to use. And, you know, I definitely think that, and, and they'll talk about it. And I definitely think that you guys are, are on that path. So I'm sure, you know, the next couple months will only bring uh, amazing stuff for you guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I appreciate that. Yeah. So what, what does your, you know, I'm, I'm sure you do a ton of stuff, you know, day in, day out, but what does your day-to-day -day role look like, uh, you know, right now within the company? So there's a, there's a few key things, you know, going back to what I said about really making the ultimate user experience, there is a lot that goes into that. And so I'm, I'm uh, getting into the nitty gritty about maintaining that experience for each and every user, um, working quite a bit on product, sort of crafting a lot of what we have going on in our experience uh, obviously, we have the, the recommendations themselves. You know, we are we're putting ourselves on the line um, with every recommendation that we give, because if we don't if we completely mess up or if we give a movie that they've already seen or three movies they've already seen, for example, you know, they, a user may not come back to us ever again. So I, I realize right now the importance of putting a lot of my time in. Uh, increasing that rate where we are, you know, super spot on every time. It, it's certainly obviously not going to happen 
in a few days or even you know months. But uh, I think it, it's it's very valuable to invest that time at the moment, and we're seeing the results. People are extremely pleased by by what we're doing. I think the second thing you know is um, getting the word out one to one with people people in the industry. I have to be the biggest advocate for what we're doing and I strongly believe in what we're doing and I know that basically when someone tries it they always come to me and say I was actually pretty surprised. Uh the issue is, you know, a lot of the time they may not try it because they are so used to this old tired recommendation experience. And because of the fact that almost all the time they're saying that they're pretty surprised shows me that, that there's that opportunity to surprise and delight, you know, that many people. So I, you know, I, I try to get the word out as much as possible as well. Yeah, for sure. And hopefully we can help with that because uh, I've used it a few times and I love it. And like, I, you know, it, I was surprised the first time and, you know, it just the personality that we've talked about and the recommendations have been spot on and awesome so far. So I'm going to keep yeah. keep coming back for sure. I appreciate that. I mean, it's 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 really incredible. I, I really have to say, because, you know, never before has there been this kind of response for a recommendation product and and. Part of the reason I mentioned about getting the word out, I guess, is just because I, I love to talk about it so much. But uh, anyway, you know, I'm, I'm super pumped that that you got some spot on Rex because we're, we're totally in this for you guys, for users. Um, that's what makes us the most happy is when you're enjoying yourself with the movie that you find is relevant. So. So where did the where did the name come from? How did you guys settle on and chill <laughs> and sort of what's next for you guys over the next couple of months? Yeah. So the. Uh, the name, you know, in some ways it was kind of inevitable. Um, the the thing is, uh, we didn't figure that out until a little bit later. Actually, originally it was called Sense for a bunch of different reasons. Like, you know, we have a sixth sense about you. Uh, you know, we can sense what you're looking for without you having to do a bunch of sifting and sorting and rating and stuff. So I thought it was a cool name. Uh but it didn't have the the power of and chill. We don't want to be associated with the specific meaning of the meme. Um, however, we do feel like that the name kind of loosens you up. You know, it makes you chuckle a little bit. It makes you feel uh, a little bit more comfortable, and, and you know that you know you don't have to be a certain way to use us. So that's kind of how it came to be. And, and it's cool. the, the other the last thing that I really like about it is that I don't know if there's many other companies who have uh, their first word being and. And uh, I think that's it's kind of fun and unique. I actually really like that, too. As far as, you know, what we're going to do next, we are expanding to other platforms. Currently, we're only on Facebook Messenger, but. We want to reach the kinds of people who are on Telegram, who are online, who are on Kick. So we're going to be doing that pretty soon. You know, th this whole idea of inline experiences that I mentioned before—that's um, something that you know you're you're going to see from us at some point, hopefully pretty soon. And you know, I I, w I would also say that movies are are just one way that we can surprise and delight people. We we make so many of these sort of small leisure time decisions every single day. 
And uh, we understand that and we know that the power that we've been able to show people from movie recs can be applied elsewhere. Uh, and so I'm, I'm super pumped about that as well. Wicked. Looking forward to it in that case. So shifting gears a little bit, uh, maybe along the lines of like career or, or life advice, if you could send yourself like a, a quick message back in time, what would you tell yourself? Yeah, so I would certainly tell myself to get started a lot earlier than I did. Get going with things, figure out what your passion is. If it is the tech world, like in my case, go get involved in the tech world. And I couldn't advocate more for just going to some of these startups and basically saying that you'll just help them with whatever, whatever they need. Even if that's you know a couple hours a day, it's really going to help drive you further. And I think it's, it's really what a lot of tech companies are looking for, um, this idea that you're proactive, that you, you know, kind of, uh, that you hustle pretty hard. And I think they want to see that you, you kind of, you're going to do what, what you need to do. And, and doing that stuff too shows that you're pretty passionate about it. I wish that I had started in, in college. I, sometimes I like to say that I wish I was a millennial because if I was, then the whole tech boom would <clears throat> be coming up, yeah. you know, pretty much when I was in uh, late high school to college. I'm still very thankful for where I'm at now and, and the opportunities that I've had. But if you're listening and, and you are into tech and you, even if you don't even realize that, or if you don't, um, you don't fully know if tech is your thing, you know, maybe you're intrigued by it. Just go ahead and try to contribute in some way. Um, and you could do, you know, there's obviously all these online classes now with Coursera and such. You could do those. I think those are, uh, those are incredible, but also, as I said, you know, just try to Try to really go to a startup and, and offer your services and offer to be helpful because that's going to be the thing that really starts to open your mind, um, op open your mind about the possibilities of what a startup can be for you. So, so I think that's, that's what I would have told myself back in the day. Yeah, absolutely. Well put. Uh, definitely, uh, definitely a good way is to just, you know, get involved, get started uh, for sure. What are some of the most recent like apps or even bots that you've downloaded and played around with? Yeah, so um, there's a few. Uh, I really, I really love Zoom.ai. They, uh, I was invited to BetaWorks's BotCamp demo day a few months ago, and all of the companies there were really impressive. But Zoom.ai blew me away because they, uh, to to explain, Zoom.ai is basically an assistant that will tell you about the person that you're meeting with right before you meet with them. Um, and there are services like that, right? But the key with them is they differentiate by giving you what I like to call dynamic content. So they're not just copying and pasting what you could find on LinkedIn and, you know, giving that as the, uh, their service. Um, what they're doing is they're finding unique ways to add more to that to add more context so they're they're giving you you know personality traits for instance of the person they're thinking on that level uh which i think for how early they are they are they're very uh smart for doing so i also i like purple purple is something that i keep up with quite a bit uh really like the community that they fostered um i like the 
sort of the the angle that they're taking. Uh, I think there is actually a lot of value in this human curation uh, type of stuff that they do. Sorry, I didn't explain. Uh, <laughs> Purple uh, basically is a bot that gives you the news of the day in the political world. And not only that, you know, a lot of times they will give you commentary that is that is completely purple. You know, purple was named for the, the combination of red and blue, meaning uh, it's not biased. It's not one way or another, but they're adding that human element. So it's not you don't feel like you're basically just getting a snippet from the web pushed to you through a bot. Um, there's a lot more there. So I, I like what they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like a really cool app. I'm, I've heard a lot about it recently, but I haven't had a chance to check it out. So I'm gonna have to dive into that. So I don't think we could do this episode without asking you what some of your favorite movies are and, and maybe just some other content that you've come across recently. Yeah, um, I'll start with with the favorite movies. I really I love Rocky. Rocky is the, the number one movie for me for, for so many reasons. It's an allegory for life. Hopefully I don't have to explain um, Rocky, Rocky to everybody. Yeah, I, don't, I don't think yeah. so. I don't know. <laughs> Hopefully not. If, yeah, um, people stop the podcast and go watch Rocky right. if you haven't. <laughs> right, right. Come back. I, yeah, because I'm actually, I, I will spoil something. So, so if you don't want to hear it, uh, don't listen to this part. Um, but, but really the truth is that it's, to me, I feel like it is an allegory for life. I feel like it is authentic. There's this concept behind it that really shines through that everyone will get their shot at the title uh, and they have to take advantage of that shot. And I think in a lot of in a lot of ways, it parallels Sylvester Stallone's life. Sylvester Stallone is the lead actor in the movie. He wrote the script. He, he brought it to the studio and they didn't want him to star. Really, they didn't want him to be too much of a part of it. But he gave himself his own shot by saying that, you know, it was required that he be the star. And he, you know, I mean, he, he got his shot. He made the most of it. And, and now he's sort of this nationally known, brilliant actor. And I think in a lot of ways it, it could work for people who are founders of startups. I certainly feel that way about it. But the caveat there, though, and you had asked about, you know, other other content is that it's funny because Anne Schill is sort of operating on this sense that everyone is completely different. So what I recommend to people may work for a couple of people, but it may also not really work for many more because they may not think directly in the same way that I do or uh, whatever the case may be. So I, I think for now, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm so excited about Rocky that I just always have to talk about it. I really feel very passionate about it. But for other, other people, they're going to feel passionate about so many other movies and there's going to be so many other reasons why. Uh, and so we want to capture that in Anchill. And I don't know if I'm going to you know, later on in my career with Ann Chill, I don't know if I'm going to give recommendations because it may be um, counterintuitive to our, our belief, our thoughts about things. Awesome. So I'm guessing that there's going to be a Rocky quote here somewhere, but do you have any last thoughts or personal models that you live by and you think other people should know about? Yeah. So, so going back to Rocky, as I said, I, I, I love this, the whole series. Rocky six, there's a great quote 
he says, you know, it's not about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. And that's how winning is done. And I mentioned earlier on in the interview, you know, I'm taking the hits now and I'm pushing forward. And uh, even just saying that, it gives me chills. I think it's just perfect. And go watch, go, go watch Rocky if you're a founder and you want some inspiration. <laughs> awesome. I couldn't think of a better way to end the episode. Jake, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us uh, today, man. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. another episode of hack to start thanks for listening and we hope to have you join us again soon remember to check us out on twitter instagram facebook and on the web at hacktostart.com we honestly couldn't do this show without your awesome support so thanks for listening until next week 